Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Just over a month ago, we looked at 1 Timothy chapter 1, the last part where the Apostle Paul was really strengthening and encouraging Timothy in his stewardship of the gospel at Ephesus, where there was trouble and difficulty. If you look with me to the last few verses of chapter 1, we're going to pick up at verse 18, and then we'll read through to verse 8 of chapter 2. Our focus is going to be on verses 1 through the beginning of 8 tonight. So hear now God's Word. We'll read it together. This charge, the gospel charge, I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, who I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Let's pray together. Lord our God, we thank you that you give us the riches of your word over and over again. And we pray, Lord, that tonight that you would work by your Spirit, that you would graciously again override our weaknesses and our sin. Lord, my own in speaking and preaching and all of us, Lord, in hearing your word. Bless us, we pray. Speak to us. Help us to see you, to know you more fully, to hear and to love, to obey your voice. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of those closing verses of 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, the Apostle Paul really presses home on Timothy again this charge, this gospel stewardship, uh, to hold on to this, to wage the good warfare, to continue in faith, to keep a good conscience before God. And and then he mentions two men, Alexander and Hymenaeus, uh, who loved sin and who didn't keep a good conscience in in gospel ministry, and because of that, they made shipwreck of the faith to the point that they needed to be excommunicated from the body of the church. And it's really with that concluding sober reminder that wraps up chapter 1, we see that Timothy has been loved by Paul. He's been encouraged, he's been reoriented to see Jesus, to be steadfast, to continue on in gospel ministry and teaching and preaching the Word of God in Ephesus. And so the question might now be, okay, so now what for Timothy and for the church? 
Is there anything else for him, for the Ephesians, for us, to engage in the calling to glorify God and enjoy Him forever? And this is what the Holy Spirit directs us to in chapter 1, or sorry, chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, where we see unpacked for us here that, that God desires us to have a wide vision, a great vision in prayer. But before we step into the beauty of the passage as it starts in chapter 2, verse 1, when you think of prayer, what do you think of? Maybe when you think of prayer, you think of uh, times when your prayer has a real vitality to it, a sweetness to it, Uh, kind of like the words of the hymn, sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer that calls me from a world of care and bids me at my Father's throne to make all my wants and wishes known. Now, these are good things, aren't they? The fact that we can bring all of our cares to our Heavenly Father, making them known to us, knowing that He cares for us. But there are times in life with many different things where we can have a a good beginning, but things could still be much better. We could grow. we We could develop further. And maybe there are times where we don't really see that, till someone comes along and helps us see it. Think of Timothy here and the congregation at Ephesus. Timothy has been urged in this opening part of the epistle to be faithful, to look up and see Jesus in all His power to save, in His strength for Timothy and for the church, through the trouble that's there. The congregation's divided. The church is divided. That's why Paul showed him the love and power of Jesus. He needed to be encouraged in his own hurt and in this trouble to be steadfast. Now in chapter 2, as part of being revived in seeing Jesus and serving Jesus, Paul calls Timothy and the whole congregation to pray together as a body and to pray with vision that extends beyond their own wants and cares. And so we see in verse 1, what does the apostle say? He says, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Paul urges. It's the same word he used right at the beginning of chapter 1 where he urged Timothy to stay on in ministry, to not give up. And now he urges Timothy and us to pray for all people. You might have expected here that that Paul would say, Timothy, be in prayer for yourself, to be steadfast in the gospel. Or maybe a bit of a wider scope. Timothy, pray for yourself and, and pray for all the faithful believers in the congregation. Maybe even a little bit wider than that. Timothy, Pray for yourself. Pray for the whole congregation, even those false teachers who are trying to lead people astray. But the word that comes from Jesus through Paul to Timothy and us is pray for all people. God desires that we pray for all people. What does this mean? Does this mean praying for every single person on the globe? We know there are billions. How could we even know them all? Well, certainly our Lord doesn't expect us to pray for every individual person separately. He knows we're limited. 
He's created us. We can pray for the entire world generically, but God's view for us here is really to have a large view in prayer, to have a wide view in our prayers, to have a heart to pray for all the people that we have awareness of. So what would this look like? What could this look like in our lives? Well, let's say you're shopping at Woodland Mall. There are crowds of people in the mall. You could utter up and bring up a prayer before the Lord. Lord, you see and you know all these crowds of people in the mall. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would save those who aren't Christians. You would strengthen those who are. Maybe you're at the checkout at Lowe's and one of the guys is helping you there. And you chat with him a bit and you just have a small conversation with him. As you get into your car and you drive away, you pray for that man. You think of him. You see, one of the things that the Timothy and the church at Ephesus needs, especially, I think, in this time of difficulty that they're in, is an outward vision, a heart and mind that not only sees God in His glory and His grace, but also sees the people all around them, the ones created in God's image that walk the streets with them, that are in restaurants with them, that are in the marketplace with them, created by God, fallen in sin, living in God's world, and and moving forward towards the day of judgment. Every one of those people unique with a personality, with a character, with joys, with sorrows and struggles, with gifts and abilities each one with eternal needs. This is what Paul is calling us into, a vision that grows and expands. We know how it is in times of difficulty, don't we? You think of something very simple and practical. If if you're trying to pound a nail into the wall to hang something up and and you hit your thumb with the hammer, what what happens? Well, your, your view of everything shrinks down to your thumb for at least a little while. But it wouldn't be healthy. That's maybe healthy for a few minutes as you deal with your thumb, maybe a little longer if you broke your thumb. But if your vision stayed focused there and you ignored your family for the rest of the day because of it and you just dwelled on your thumb, there would be something wrong, wouldn't there? The same can happen to us in other ways. As we face trials and difficulties, as Timothy was, It's easy for us to have our world shrink down, shrink down to me, maybe shrink down to my family, maybe just be completely absorbed in in, in my church and what's happening, what's happening there. And the Lord here calls us to look wider, to look and see our neighbors, our friends, even as He calls us through trials to to have our eyes open and our hearts open to other people. Well, as the Apostle Paul calls us to pray for all people around us, he does so using four terms that each respect, uh, each give us an aspect of prayer for people, though there's some overlap between them. And those four terms we see in verse 1. He says, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings 
be made for all people. Well, that first word, supplications, what does that reflect? It really reflects entreaty. It's like an urgent request that specific blessing be given, a specific need be met. And so as we have our eyes open to people around us, this will require us to also have our ears open, to have an awareness that extends beyond ourselves. Do we see a particular need that we can entreat the Lord for urgently request that would be met for them spiritually or in other ways? The second word, prayers, it's a more general term that Scripture often uses for bringing those we're praying for before God for His general blessing and care, a more wide term. The third term, intercessions, is really a word that's used in this time period where a person came to a king to appeal for a favorable response for somebody who was in trouble of their own doing. And, and this, again, spiritually interceding for others is, is praying for others because we know there's a sin problem in the first place. There's a relational problem between an individual and God. And so making intercession for someone who's in a hard place, whether they're spiritually dead in sin or maybe struggling in sin in other ways, the Christian is to have a a view, a vision that's looking around and then interceding, interceding to God for them, coming as a go-between, acting as an interceder, sort of like a mediator, someone who's going between that person and God. And fourth, thanksgiving, specific expressions of gratitude to God for His mercy, grace, and blessing towards others. As I thought about this this week, I was convicted. I thought of the neighbors. Thinking about all people, I thought, well, maybe start at home. I was working in my sermon, upstairs bedroom, a desk there, windows that kind of look over our neighborhood. And I thought, when's the last time I gave thanks for the way the Lord has blessed my neighbors, for the way He provides for them? When's the last time I, I interceded, interceded for them? You know, maybe for one or two, there's a lady right next door that we pray for, and some people across the street that go to Ada Bible Church that we pray for occasionally, but the rest, I just don't really think about. God calls us here to have a vision and a view, to be praying in multifaceted ways with a heart, with a spiritual vision that's turned on, with eyes open for others. It, it really requires an outward focus, doesn't it? A watchfulness, a love and care for those around us. What is God calling us into here? He's really calling us into conformity with Jesus, isn't He? Think of our Lord Jesus Christ as He walked the dusty streets of Palestine, as He walked through the towns and cities and countryside. We read that He had compassion on the crowds, didn't He? His heart went out to all the crowds of people that He saw. His heart went out to, to a man sitting on the side of the street who's lame or blind. His heart went out to people He'd just met and to people He was passing by and, and to people as the disciples were trying to keep from Him. Right, the parents with the children. His heart went out to these people. He never met them before. 
His heart went out. And so as we're called into this, we're called into being like Jesus, like our great Savior, whose heart has gone out to us in His grace and mercy, who has seen and known us in love and tenderness with such self-sacrifice. Now, as one example of what we're called into in praying for all people, Paul gives us the category of politicians and government authorities in verse 2, praying for kings and all who are in high positions. I didn't ask Wayne to preach for this, and uh, he did, uh, sort of beat me to it, but I, I was thinking of this as well, uh, challenged in this. You know, for Timothy and the Christians at Ephesus, kings and people in high positions were probably some of the last people they wanted to pray for. What does this include at this time? The Emperor Nero, who, who is just a wicked, evil man who takes joy in torturing people. For other, for Roman governors, people whose dark evil and corruption was legendary. And the Lord calls them as part of the all people that you see and you know about, you know about these rulers. You know about these people in positions of high authority. You hear about them. We read about them in the media. We hear about them on the news. What would it be for us? These supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings for Donald Trump and for Nancy Pelosi, for Chuck Schumer and for Mitch McConnell. It would mean the same supplication, prayer, intercession, thanksgiving for our governor, Gretchen Whitmer, along with those men and women who serve in high places who we know are Christians who are seeking to serve in godly integrity. It would mean thinking of people like Vladimir Putin or Kim Il-jung, interceding for them for their salvation, praying for them, praying for God's mercy and grace. You think of our political world, isn't it so full of vitriol, anger, and division? Our media is full of it, and our own sinful tendencies are too easily nurtured by the spirit of our culture. Taking up the Lord's call to pray for all, including all kinds of political leaders, is something that the Lord is pleased to use to change us and to change people and situations. Verse 2, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. You know, if we grow in heart and vision and Christ-likeness in prayer for rulers and for others, as we exercise ourselves in godliness, we grow in godliness. We ourselves, the apostle says, will be growing in godliness and in dignity, becoming more focused on the real needs of those around us and less tossed around by the latest political scandal, the latest political corruption, uh, the lies being thrown back and forth. It'll make us pray for them all with the love of Christ who has saved us from our sin and our darkness. The words of verse 2 echo the word the Lord gave to the people of Israel 
when they were about to head into captivity. Jeremiah 29, 7, seek the welfare of the city that, I've sent, that I send you into exile in and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will have welfare. Well, having given us this call to pray with heart and vision for all people, Paul now turns to explain to us why we should do so. In verses 3 through 6, God desires the salvation of all, we see there. But before we turn to look at those verses, let me ask a question. What makes something good? Actually good, positive, beneficial. What makes something good? You know, it's not just because you or I experience something as feeling good. It's not necessarily good in reality, is it? Donuts, ice cream, and Doritos every night um, would really feel good, but they wouldn't actually be good every night for us. So how do we define what is truly good in an ultimate sense? It's good because it flows from the goodness of God. It's good because it's in harmony with His holiness. It coheres with His Word. It's good because it it reflects the God in whom we live and move and have our being, the one in whom all things consist, the one who's created us and sustains us. And this is why Paul urges us to pray for all people, because he says, verse 3, this is good. It is an ultimate good. It is a real and true good. It's good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. You know, our growing and praying more widely with our eyes open to the needs of people around us in the world gives joy to God. It gives delight to Him. He's telling us here, it gives me pleasure as your God, as your Creator, as a Creator of the universe. It gives me joy and pleasure when you get on your knees or when you're driving in the car and you pray for some of those all people that are around you. When you reach out to me on their behalf. It's good because it coheres with my goodness, with my holy and pure and infinite goodness, the God who is our Savior. It's perhaps the most, which is perhaps the most profound display of His goodness, being Savior. And He's calling us in to praying for salvation and for blessing. You see, as we're filled with this kind of a spirit of prayer and we grow in it, and we're being filled with the fruit of His Spirit, we're, we're becoming more like Jesus, as we said earlier. And our hearts are becoming more like God's heart, the Father's heart who so loved this world that He gave His only begotten Son so that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. This is what Paul goes on and says to us in verse 4. He says, this God, our Savior, is the one who what? Who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. 
do you think that way? I don't always think that way. God's love and compassion is far bigger than my heart and mind, far more vast. He desires the salvation of all, Scripture says to us here. God's heart is big to this rebel, lost, evil world. We know He calls us to go, to go into all the world and to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim His excellency, declare His truth, welcome everybody to come to Him for life and for salvation. In Revelation 7, 9, the Lord tells us that, that He is saving a multitude that no one can number. We know that in holiness and justice, He does not save all. In holiness and justice, He does bring holy judgment to bear on people. But He tells us in Ezekiel 33, 11, I take no delight in the death of the wicked. And here He tells us, I desire all to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. That really draws us into, doesn't it, to praying widely, thinking of God's joy to save. If God had joy in saving you and me, why wouldn't He have joy in doing so for the neighbors three houses down the street? He has welcomed millions of others in our own generation to Himself, converting countless people in Iran right now. In China, the gospel is advancing. How many Christians are there around the world right now just in our generation? God's love and compassion is so vast, and He calls us to have a big view, a large heart, for those around us. Look with me to verses 5 and 6. The apostle here gives us an, another reason that should move us into God's delight for salvation and, and our urgent prayer for everybody. Why? Because there is one God, and there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave Himself as a ransom for all, which is a testimony given at the proper time. I think it's so easy for us, at least it is for me, to be lulled into complacency and to start somehow thinking that the folks down the street, the checkout person at Lowe's, you know, they're okay. They're fine. They look okay, don't they? I mean, they're walking, talking, they look pretty healthy. They're good. But the apostle says, one of the things that impels our urgency is that there is one living and true God, and there's one mediator. There's one between God and men, one mediator, the man Christ Jesus. God is God, and, and the way He's given in Jesus is the only way. There's no plan B. There's no second option. And of course, of course there isn't. How could there be a second option? 
when God the Father has given His own beloved Son, who's made the ransom payment, the full atonement for sin, it would be, it would be a crazy affront. It's really an insane affront to the, the goodness, the incredible grace and generosity of God in Christ to think that there's some other way, that, that being a good person would be another option. It wouldn't do anything to cover our sin or anyone else's sin. It's just an affront to God's great love and mercy and generosity that He's declared in Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, it's your vision is to be opened up to see that God's great heart for all, but also that He's provided one Savior, His own Son, and that these people all around you desperately need Him. They need Him for life and for eternity, and they need His blessing. And Paul says, this is why I was an appointed a preacher and an apostle. Our praying connects with the proclamation of the gospel, doesn't it? Verse 7. This is why I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. The apostle Paul was called by Jesus to go out to take the gospel, to proclaim God's good news in Jesus to the Gentile nations. And he went out. He was sent out. That was Paul's calling. And Paul had, in a way, a unique calling there, didn't he? It's mirrored today in in preachers, evangelists, missionaries who go out and who preach and proclaim. That was his calling. But flowing from the reality of God our Savior, what he's doing, you know, we all have a calling. And that's what's being brought to us in these verses, part of it. You know, we all have callings in life. If you think about all of us gathered here tonight, just all the different gifts that God has given, all the different vocations He's called to, lawyer, doctor, plant manager, heavy equipment operator, accountant, financial advisor, homemaker, dad, mom, student, the, the, the vast diversity of gifts that God has given in this room uh, to all of us to serve Him in different ways. Uh, all interconnected, woven together for His glory. Well, as part of our calling, as those who've been called out of darkness into His marvelous light, is is the spiritual calling that comes with whatever our vocational calling is. Whatever specific thing we've been called to with our gifts and position in life, God's given us, you and me, a spiritual calling that that fills that, that affects that, the facets of our work and our calling, it extends beyond that into our homes and our church and our community. And here, part of that calling that we have been given is to pray with our eyes open, to pray with vision, knowing the Lord. And that's why the apostle says in verse 8, So pray everywhere, 
We're not going to get into all of verse 8. From verse 8 towards the end of this chapter, the Apostle Paul really starts laying out the dynamics of, of what prayer and worship leadership should look like in the gathered church and worship, the life of the church. But it's a beautiful conclusion, really, as it wraps things up. Pray for all people and do this in every place. Pray wherever you are. Pray in every church with a big vision, with a great heart. Do this knowing that your God and Savior delights to work and to answer prayer. You know what? As we pray, in a sense, we're not doing the effects of the prayer at all, are we? In praying for the guy at Lowe's, or the people at Woodland Mall, or your neighbor three houses down, you are asking the sovereign God, the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who sits in majesty and glory. You're asking Him, the one who created all things, to act in that person's life, in that crowd's life, in that country, in that political leader. You're calling on the name of the Lord. And He's told you tonight, He's told me tonight, in His Word, do this. I love it when you do this. This brings me joy when you do this. This brings me pleasure when you do this. This is part of what I've called you into. This is why I've washed you and cleansed you and made you new. To step into this marvelous calling. So let's seek this week as we step out into all of our lives to pray for more of the all people around us and to look to the Lord and delight in Him as we do so. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our God, we thank You that You call us into such marvelous high things. What a mystery it is. We know our sin, Lord. Uh, we don't deserve even to come into Your presence And yet you are the one who welcomes us, who calls us sinners as we are to be cleansed, to be forgiven, and then to enter into your great mission of redemption, your great mission of directing and guiding all things in this world for the good of your church and the glory of your name. God, we confess that so often our hearts have been very small, Lord, so often we are self-focused, Lord, and we love ourselves more than our neighbor and those around us. We pray, forgive us for that. And Lord, help us to enter more deeply into the joy of what you call us into, which is your joy and your delight. Now, how we thank you for your tender and good and gracious word to us tonight. Bless us in it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The men's ensemble is going to come up now to the front again to lead us in the song Across the Lands, uh, which really uh, pulls together some of the things that we've just been hearing from God's Word.
receive now the blessing of our great God. Now may the God of peace equip you with everything good that you may do his will through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.